Hello, my name is Noah McMillan, and welcome to Wise Advice on Educational Planning by McMillan Education, the oldest educational consultancy in the United States. Today, I chat with Bill Southwick about perhaps the biggest day in the independent school year, March 10th. Bill has been with McMillan Education for over four years now. Before that, he oversaw the distinctive elementary, middle, and high school admission practices at Dexter Southfield for many years. So, he's well-equipped to let us know what goes into Decision Day and offer advice to parents and students on what to do with acceptances, wait lists, and denials. Finally, we are at the end of the waiting. Schools will be releasing their decisions this week, so it makes sense for us to talk about how it works. Bill, thank you for joining me. Absolutely, Noah. It's good to be here. So when we talked, um, you like to mention that there are three outcomes that we need to break down in order to analyze school decision time. Can you get into that a little bit? I sure can. I mean, basically, it's it's pretty straightforward. Um, candidates are going to be accepted. Potentially, they're going to be rejected or the one in the middle, they may be placed on a wait list. And we're going to talk about each of those, but not necessarily in that order. All right. Which one would you like to start with? Let's start with the the least fun one, but the one that is the clearest, which is the regret letter, which is essentially there's not going to be a spot for your child this coming year. That can happen for many reasons. Um, it can simply be a space issue that they have, you know, they don't have any spaces or there can be a fit issue. And there's a question of what that means. And it's okay to reach out to the school to ask questions about this, but I recommend that you wait until the first part of this process has moved on just because they're going to be dealing with a lot of moving parts. So if you wanted to have a conversation with them in April or even May about a regret letter, um, they probably would be happy to do that and talk about it. If you've gotten the regret letter, should you be thinking about applying again in the future? Should you just move on? You're done with that school. You can absolutely think about it. It depends a lot on the on what we're talking about for a school. So if you're a, you know, potentially a repeat 10th or 11th grader, probably not because your your window is very narrow. But if you've applied for pre-kindergarten or kindergarten or fifth grade or something like that, and the school has spaces going forward, there, uh, it's it's perfectly fine to do that. And in one way, if you think about it, it is the ultimate expression of demonstrated interest in the school to apply again. And I've seen families do it um, once, twice, maybe perhaps more. And um, if it's if it's becomes a good fit, it works. So it's it, there's obviously no guarantees from one year to the next, but it is certainly something that people should consider. Okay, now that we've gotten the regret letter out of the way, let's get into the exciting one. They want you. So the accept the acceptance is great. Um, you know, it it always feels good to to feel a little love there, but it also is an expression that they want to enter into a partnership. The school wants to enter into a partnership with your family um, and your child, potentially for a couple of years, potentially for a, a much longer period of time, depending on how old the child is. Interestingly, we we talk about this a lot and having just talked about the regret letters and the accept letters, believe it or not, in the committee meetings and the conversations, the accepts don't take very long. They look at it and think, yep, this works. 
Whereas if you're going to turn a family down, we often would be in conversation for a much longer period of time. So I want to be clear that, you know, while it's fun to get an accept letter, don't think that the regret letter means you didn't um, get the proper consideration. So the accept letter comes with a number of pieces. There's obviously the, the school contract. There's, there's financial information. If financial aid is a factor, that is there if all the materials are complete. And then there's also typically an opportunity to revisit the school and get a chance to see it one more time before you get um, into that process. So it gives you a chance to revisit the school and to, and to see whether or not it's as good a fit in April as you thought it was in October or November. It's not complicated. Um, on revisit days, the schools will invite back all the students that they've uh, accepted, typically fifth, fifth or sixth grade and up, typically not the little ones. Um, but they will invite them back. There will be often a, a kind of an opening program with parents and students. And then the students will typically go off with a student host who is a, either a student in the grade that they're in now or a student that's in the grade to which they applied. And they'll go off, they'll go to a, a class or two, they probably will have lunch and they will you know, get some campus tours and get a chance to get their questions answered. While that's going on, schools vary in what they do with parents. Some of them will have a full program for parents. Some will have a, a fairly modest group and the parents will come back later to pick up the children. So that goes on. The couple things to know about revisits, um, the way the calendar works for New England schools, for the most part, the schools release their decisions on March 10th. And that Friday, which this year happens to be March 10th, the schools typically go on vacation for two weeks. So not a heck of a lot is going to happen on campus in that period of time. And what that means is that for the vast majority of the schools, the revisits will take place in the two weeks leading up to the deadline for decisions, which is April 10th. And so there are you know, 10 school days, probably not the first day back from break. And, you know, depends a little bit on game schedules and those sorts of things. But those will be in there. And so schools will often offer two or three different revisit days. You don't go to more than one. But the reason is that they know that the other schools in the area to which students have applied may, um, you know, there may be a conflict. And if there's a, a real conflict, you just have to have a, be in conversation with the schools about that and see if there's some way to, to fix that and work around that. How many revisit days do you recommend people go on? Really depends on the size of the list, but probably not more than two or three. Um, the old classroom teacher in me doesn't really want kids missing that much school in the early part of April, but also hopefully you've been able to narrow your list down. And so, you know, a little bit more about what's going on. Now, if you have a, an absolute runaway favorite and the child is accepted, you're under no obligation to go to revisit day. You can just sign the contract and go merrily along their way. But if you've got it down to two or perhaps three, it does make sense to go and see it. And, you know, the schools never like it when we say to them, you know, it's really going to come down to the revisit. But that's a very common thought that families have when they get their list of schools and when they know to where they've been accepted. You mentioned the contract. 
Um, how firm is the April 10th deadline? Should families try and screw around with that or do they have to respect that? No, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty firm deadline. Um, and and the, the really simple reason for it is not to, to put you in a tough spot, but there are students who are on wait lists, we'll get to in a minute, and they are waiting to hear and they need, the, the schools need to know what's the, you know, what, what is the status of all the students that they've offered positions to before they can make a move towards their wait list. So you mentioned the wait list, which is probably the most complicated of the three situations. Uh, can you just explain what the wait list is, kind of like a, an FAQ? Absolutely. Um, and a lot of schools will put information in their packets if they're if they're putting a student on a wait list, they will do that. So in really broad strokes, schools accept more students than they can actually enroll. And they do that based on historical trends and gut feeling of admissions professionals and things like that. But for instance, they might say they had 15 spots for incoming students in a particular grade. They might accept 18, they might accept 20, something, you know, maybe more, maybe fewer. Um, it'll depend on the school and their history and, and what they're comfortable with. And so there are already more students than can enroll. That's because some of these kids are not gonna come. They're gonna go other places. So it's it's not as if, you know, they, they, they have to solve that, you know, work that out a little bit. But, most years in most grades, there are more qualified applicants than they can possibly accept, even with that little cushion that they put on there. And so that's when the waitlist comes in. And a waitlist means, in very clear terms, the child is qualified to be a student at the school, but there currently is not a spot for them. That's That's really what it is. It's not a oh, we like you, and so we're going to put you on the wait list, even though we have no intention of taking you. It's not that, and it's not a, a promise of anything. It's a, if circumstances permit, this would be a great thing. And many students get off wait lists, and it varies a lot from year to year. And while schools keep track of it, this is not really published data about what's going on. What you need to know about wait lists is that they're not ranked. And lots of folks hearing someone say that don't really believe it. But the reason that they're not ranked is that there are many, many factors that go into admissions. And you might have a, a, a wait list or a wait pool sometimes referred to of five to 10 students for a particular grade. And sometimes, you know, there's a space. And if you've got a, a boarding school, well, if we've got a dormitory bed available, we're gonna give it to a boarding student, not a day student. If we've got um, a, a gap in a, a boys class or a girls class, you understand how there's, there's many factors that can create that opportunity. So what happens is in, in you know, really getting down to brass tacks, the, student, the school makes the offers, the families make their decisions. And once they've gotten through all the, accepted students, if there's a gap, if there's a space that's not been taken. So if I, in our original example, we had 15 spots, we accepted 18 students, 
but only 14 enrolled right there. There's a spot for the wait list. And the school will then go back to the wait list and not say, well, you're number one or you're number two. They'll go back and look at the whole pool and make the decision about what's the best fit based on the rest of the class. If you're a student who is on a wait list, but has also been accepted to a school, how do you play the timing of that? This is a challenge, Noah, because the schools often don't know whether or not they're going to go to their wait list at all prior to March, prior to April 10th. And so if you have an offer at a school, and I like to think if you've applied to that school, that you'd be happy to go there, you have an offer to school and a wait list, it's a good idea to take the offer because they don't have to hold that contract for you after April 10th. What I don't recommend doing is calling the school that you've been accepted to and see if they'll give you a few extra days because they know what you're doing and they understand why and they want to hit their enrollment goals as well. You're a student though that only is on a wait list. Is there any risk on just waiting it out to see how it goes? No, there's no risk at all. Um, schools will do different things. Um, school enrollment is dynamic. Now, most schools will, you know, carry a, a wait list if there's interested people through the rest of the academic year. So through perhaps the beginning or the middle of June, just to as a, kind of a little bit of an insurance policy for them. Um, most of them don't carry it into the summer, but there's been times when a family would say, look, we're happy to make a decision late because we're not on a, enrolled at another independent school, so we can do that. So those are handled on a case-by-case -case basis. So if you're on a wait list, you wanna be in communication with the school. Initially, you wanna tell them that you wanna stay on the wait list, but you wanna, you wanna continue that communication about, you know, is there anything going on or, you know, how may we, you know, enhance our chances of getting off the wait list? Folks on the wait list don't have a lot of control of that, but. So you mentioned the staying in communication part. What would that communication look like beyond just saying we're still interested? Is that it? Because it sounds like given that it's not a ranked list and mostly based on the need of the school, there's only so much you could do. Absolutely. And you don't want to be a pest. So you can send an email or, you know, maybe you send an email every week or 10 days if you've gotten past April 10th and, and things haven't moved, you know, and a, a phone call is okay, but you don't want to, you know, you want to stay in communication, but in an appropriate kind of respectful way. If you got some new information, you know, a new report card that showed a change in the good direction, things like that, feel free to share those, but you're still kind of in the, in the candidate mentality. Well, obviously, the financial aspect is a pivotal point for some people in making the decision. Is there a guide to financial aid or is it really a school by school thing? So the, the schools use a common you know, platform for them to collect all the information from the families and those financial aid forms are quite onerous, but they get all of that information and then they typically will do their own analysis. Um, and it, the challenge of 
any financial aid program is balancing the needs of the schools with the needs of the families. And that can be very complicated and it's difficult. It's not impossible, but it's difficult to make everybody happy all the time. But the, the hard part is that um, schools have existing commitments to financial aid for their current students. And so they always have a budget for how much they can expend on new students. So you may see differences in the offers from different schools. That doesn't really give you the opportunity to turn around and barter. It is, it's, they're typically, there's not a lot of wiggle room because they're working with their own individual budgets. So I don't recommend um, trying to try to negotiate on financial aid at the end of the process. So now that we've gotten through the three possible outcomes for the students, I was hoping we could take a second and give a kind of behind the scenes look for what it's like on the admissions end leading up to the big day of March 10th and then after. What is it? What is the quote unquote war room of an admission school like? So it, it, it's pretty interesting and it's very, very kid focused. And what I, when I say that, what I mean is the families and the sending schools and the teacher recommendations and the test scores, all of those pieces go in to the schools and they get handled carefully and sensitively. And then there's a, a few week period at the end of January and into February where members of the admissions team will read the files of students who have applied. And the readers include members of the admissions team, but they often also include other folks in the school community, whether it be division directors or academic deans or learning support folks. And they all will read with their own kind of uh, perspective on the, on the child and how the child will fit into the school community as a learner, as a citizen, as a participant in other activities, all of those things. And so they do that and all of that information is collected. And then at some point in the, in the middle of February or a little bit later than that, committee meetings will happen. And the committee meetings, you try to get as many of the folks who've read the file as possible together and you talk about the child. Now, when we did it, we always had the interviewer present the child because it made sense. They were the one who knew them the best, but it will go through and, it, interestingly, as I, I said before, you're going to have some folks that are very, very straightforward candidates. And you look at you think, yes, this one makes a lot of sense. Or we have some real questions about whether that one, if this is the right fit. Both of those are good answers. But what it means is that for a small group of, of decisions are very easy. Most of them, probably the middle 60 or 65% of them require a conversation that can be pretty pretty detailed and pretty interesting. Um, you're just trying to think about and understand and evaluate the child and the learning environment. And you know, in, in schools of younger kids, a little bit about the parents and how they might be involved, but that's a, a much smaller piece of the puzzle. And then you come down to it and decisions have to be made. And unfortunately, the, the pile of acceptable students that everybody agrees would be a great fit in the school and the number of seats often is not does not equal and so that's where students end up in waitlist um, or potentially not being accepted 
really based on the strength of the pool for that year and the space and, and needs of the school. So you've mentioned a couple of times best fit, which is obviously a guiding light for us at McMillan and the needs of the school. Can you delve into what that means a little bit more? Sure. I mean, best fit maybe have to do with academics and the way material is taught or presented and different learners have different strengths and weaknesses. And perhaps you've got a more hands-on environment and a more uh, kind of straightforward, I don't wanna say rote learning child, but a child that really likes that structure. Sometimes those are the kinds of things that vary or different. Or sometimes you've got a student who struggles in a particular academic discipline or disciplines that are really central to what the school is. So in those cases, it might not be the ideal fit for that student. Um, and then, you know, the needs of the school, they're looking for, you know, a few different things. Gender balance is one, you know, if, if it's a co-ed school, a certain number of, you know, students of, of each gender. In addition to that, you know, it depends if there's an athletic program that they're thinking about, if there's, you know, oftentimes you've got musical, you know, you've got musicians that are applying, you've got artists, you've got all kind of the, the extracurricular, they're central to the, to the program, but they're not, they're outside of the English math and foreign language and science kind of categories. But you're thinking about that as well. Um, you know, the, the, the lacrosse goalie graduated, do we have another one? We need some more horns for the, for the concert band. You know, lots of things like that can happen. And so this is not a, an invitation for families to think, oh, we've got to stress this or that more than another. It's just the reality of the schools looking at who's already in their class or if, they're, if it's a, you know, an entry year. Okay, what does the overall group of students look like? And you're, you're thinking about, you know, diversity in all of its forms. And you're thinking about, you know, building a class. Admissions professionals love to talk about designing the ideal class. The reality is you have to also work with what comes through the door. So, you know, the designs have to be fluid, but it is, it is important to think about, you know, how the class will work as a, as a whole. Okay. So it's obviously a stressful time for the, and hopefully an exciting time for the families involved in this. What are your final words of wisdom for families that have a big investment in March 10th? So congratulations for getting to this point in the process. The, the fall is the exciting time when you're visiting schools and the winter is the busy time when you're doing all the applications. And then you have to sit and wait for the schools to do it. And so congratulations for getting to this point in the process. Um, if all the decisions didn't come out the way you wanted, don't take it to heart as a reflection of you or your child. Know that there are many pieces that go in this puzzle and there are many places where children can thrive and good luck with the decision-making part of the process. Well, thanks so much for your time. Absolutely, thank you, Noah. Thank you for listening to Wise Advice on Educational Planning. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review.